The Bible reading this morning is taken from John three fourteen to 21. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light, for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. To understand this morning gospel reading, and especially to understand this familiar verse, John 3, 16, we have to pay attention to the context Today's gospel reading comes from John chapter 3, which begins with the encounter of Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus is identified as a Pharisee, a leader of the religious establishment. Significantly, he comes to Jesus by night and is clear from his questions that he regards Jesus sympathetically. Even as one whose teaching has authority, he addresses Jesus as rabbi. Jesus makes statements that are ambiguous, open to multiple interpretations in their conversations. And this is typical for Jesus' encounters with followers or would-be followers in John. That's apparent from the other very famous statement in this chapter that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Verse 3. Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus leads us into this morning's passage in which there are three related subjects. First, the Son of Man being lifted up. The lifting up of the Son of Man will make eternal life possible. Second, eternal life. God's love for the world, which prompted God's gift of the Son so that those who believe in Him would have eternal life. Third, condemnation. The condemnation of those who do not believe in the sun. These three subjects are so closely related to be one theme, but we often fail to treat them together. To tend, we tend to memorize verse 16 to re- disregard what goes before and what follows. The reason is clear. John 16, verse 16, is positive and assuring. And we delight in this message of God's love and 
our salvation. Verses 14 to 15 link Jesus' death to rather old Old Testament story, the meaning of which seems obscure. Verses 17 to 21 speak of condemnation, which makes them far less attractive than verse 16. We hear that which we want to hear, and we want to hear about love and salvation. It is important to bring these three subjects back into relationship. We must help people understand not only the grace, but also the condemnation of this text. The grace has no meaning in isolation from the condemnation. If we have no sin, we need no forgiveness. If there is no condemnation, we require no grace. First subject, the Son of Man being lifted up. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. The story is from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9. And every Jewish child knows it. The Israelites sinned by grumbling against God for bringing them out of Egypt into the wilderness. God punished them with a plate of fiery serpents, killing many Israelites. The Israelites confessed their sins and begged for mercy. So God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and hold it aloft on the pole. Whoever looked up at the bronze serpent was saved from the fiery serpents, gave new life, given new life, and born anew. Keep in mind Jesus' earlier comment about being born anew in verse 3, and Nicodemus' questions about re-entering his mother's womb to be born again. In verse 4, Jesus might expect Nicodemus to link the serpent story to Jesus' words about being born again. Verses 14 and 15, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him both the lifted-up serpent and the lifted-up Jesus confer new life on those who look upon or believe in them. There are several parallels between the Moses story and the Jesus story. In both stories, the people were in danger of death because of their sin. And God provides the agents of salvation, the bronze serpent in the first story and the son of man in the second. Next, the agent of salvation is lifted up. Lastly, the people are saved by looking at or believing in God's agent of salvation. The term lifted up has multiple meanings in this gospel. While the connection between the story in Numbers and Jesus' crucifixion may be obvious, 
in John's Gospel, lifted up means more than crucifixion. A better translation here might be exalted. For it better conveys what Jesus and John are getting at. In this Gospel, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension are all parts of a single action or event. It's a paradox. Certainly, the crucifixion is Jesus at his most human and humiliated. But it is also the moment when his divine nature is most evident. It is the moment of his glorification. His cross and his resurrection and ascension are simply different facets of his glorification. Verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The fact that Jesus used everyone here serves as a hint that the gospel will not be limited to Israel, but will extend to all the world. A fact that Jesus made more explicit in verse 16. To believe is to be convinced that something is true, to trust it, to have faith. The author of Hebrews defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Belief makes it possible for people to live confidently in the midst of difficulties. Second subject, eternal life. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. This is an amazing statement given the general negative view of the cosmos world in this gospel. The cosmos is depicted in oppositions to Jesus Christ. You can see there are so many references in the Gospel of John. And that's the case even though in chapter 1, the Gospel writer proclaims that God created the world. Now we learn that the God who created the world loves the world. God loves the world, not just humans, the creation order. So much that God gave his son, the only son, that we might have eternal lives or everlasting life. The present condition of the world comes not from God, but from the human beings who reject God in Christ. To use the gospel imagery, like verse 19, the light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. That offers a different perspective on things. Instead of fearing a just and righteous God, we need to fear our own desires and choices to preserve the dark and hidden corners of our lives and to live in the dark and hidden corners of the world. How could God 
loves such a world. The miracle is that God does. God sends the Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ruther called this verse the gospel in miniature. God's motive is love and God's objective is salvation. However, God provides not just salvation, but an opportunity to the world. Those who actually receive eternal life are those who believe in the Son. This would also be amazing to Nicodemus. He understands that God loves Israel, God's chosen people, but would find it difficult to believe that God loves the world. It would have been far less costly for God to ignore the world's sin and to allow people to live in darkness. But that would reflect not love, but apathy. An analogy is provided by earthly parents. It is far more costly in time and energy for a parent to supervise a child rather than letting a child run wild. Some parents prefer not to constrain their child, but what appears to be a gift of freedom instead jeopardizes the child's welfare. It is not a hands-off policy that demonstrates love, but a willingness to make the necessary sacrifices to keep the child safe. God made just such a sacrifice in sending the Son to save the world. Have eternal life. The word have is present tense, suggesting that believers possess it in the here and now, rather having to wait for some future inheritance. This is your Hanai's realized eschatology, the already received gift, eternal life as relationship with God begin, beginning now. We tend to think of eternal life as life without end, and it does have the sense in John chapter 6, verse 58. However, it's also referred to a quality of life, live in the presence of God. Another word that causes our difficulty as we attempt to approach this passage is the verb believe. It's a word that appears more than in John than anywhere else in the New Testament. But it's worth noting that the word faith never appears in John Gospel. Belief is an action word, an action verb. So we, so we should think of it not simply as an intellectual asset to certain propositions, but rather to think of it dynamically. The later reference to coming to the light suggests that 
dynamism involved. So too does another favorite John word, love. Believing in John is about relationship, about abiding with, being with Jesus, loving Jesus, and being loved by Jesus. The third subject, condemnation. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This verse states God's purpose in sending the Son. It is not to condemn the world, but to save it. We dare not take the gift of God's Son lightly. It was an enormous, costly gift of God to give. And we ignore the gift at our peril. These verses appear to be in conflict with John chapter 9, verse 39, where Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world. We should not imagine, however, that Jesus came into the world to shut the door on unbelievers. He came to hold open the door to the kingdom of God so those who would enter on God's terms would be saved. It is human decision rather than divine fear that con condemns those who refuse to accept God's terms. Jesus' saving work reveals a dark side of earthly life. If it is necessary for God to send the Son to save the world, it must be that the world which needs saving is lost. Furthermore, the Son's work is efficacious only if the world accepts the prophet's salvation. John puts it in this way. Verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus' name is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew Joshua which means God saves. The one who fails to believe in the name of the Savior has not accepted the salvation offered by the Savior and thus stands condemned already. Just as we had a clear statement of Jesus' purpose in verse 16, that he came to save the world, so we have a clear statement now of the problem. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Verse 19. The images conjured up by such a language are sinister but all too real. They remind us of the dangers of the dark streets. Illicit transactions accomplished in out-of-the-way places. People clothed in dark clothing to make themselves 
invisible in the night. People love darkness instead of light. What a word. It is not that people haven't seen the light. They have. They chose the dark. The proof is in the pudding. The deeds were evil. More than just choosing darkness, people will actively hate the light. They hate the light because it ruins their lives. In verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. It's simple simple selfishness. If I stand in the light, people can see me. They can see my fullness. They can see the intentional nature of my sin. I don't just sin out of ignorance. I don't just make mistakes. I make decisions. With sound mind and body, I decide to do or not do. Knowing full well what my parents say, what my teachers say, what my pastors say, what God says, Still, I choose the dark and shun the light. And so Jesus says, Whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Verse 18. Before we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Paul says, We were dead in transgressions. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5. And in Romans, Paul writes, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. So this is the spiritual condition of the people of the world. They are dead in transgressions, dead in sins, stand condemned already. But God loves us. He sent His only Son to rescue us. Now the light has shone into the darkness. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Verse 21. But just as one who loves the darkness does evil works in verse 19. So also the one who loves the light will do good works. The picture here is a godly person who does his or her good work without fanfare, but lives in faith that his or her works will be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The season of Lent reminds us of the Savior that was lifted up. It reminds us that Jesus suffered the cross not only for us, but because of us. The season of Lent 
remind us that we have a Savior when we sin. We have God's cure and God's solution for our sin. Most of all, the seasons of Lent reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is God's answer to darkness. He called us into the light when no sin can grow. He called us to let his love live through us. He called us to follow his compassion to be lived out in us and through us. He called us to look to the cross together. It is my prayer that this fourth Sunday in Lent that the Holy Spirit might move all of us to have a deeper understanding of the tremendous gifts of God's grace poured out for us in Christ's death to redeem us from our sin and that we, when we look at the cross over our altar or finger the cross around our neck that the Holy Spirit focuses our attention not on the object but to what the cross represents God's gift of redeeming grace in Christ's death for our redemption. Amen.